Hey team, welcome to Rewriting Wellbeing, the teacher's health podcast, the show that helps you thrive and not just survive both in and out the classroom. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. You are joined as always by me, your host, Charlie Burley, the teacher's health coach. I hope you are doing really well today and you're having a great week so far. Today, I've got a really special episode for you. A few weeks ago, we recorded a live conversation with a small group to discuss the immense journey that our two guests recently embarked on. Johnny Lawrence and David Wilson recently took on the challenge to climb a peak in the Atlas Mountains in North Africa. It was a trek that tested them mentally, physically and emotionally, and one that, in Johnny's words, stripped them right back. This was such a fascinating conversation to be part of, and I want to quickly say a huge thank you to both of them for giving us their time and reflecting on this challenge with us. So a bit more about the guys before we go on. Johnny Lawrence, the self-development coach, is a public speaker, podcast host, coach, and his mission is to help as many people as possible with their self-development. He hosts the popular self-development podcast with insightful, informative conversations with industry professionals and other guests to pass along helpful self-development perspectives. David Wilson, Sober Dave, is a certified grey area drinking coach, public speaker, podcast host with a very popular podcast, One for the Road, which talks all about sobriety and the journey that it brings. Dave is also a charity ambassador and more recently a mountain climber. It was an absolute pleasure to be a part of this conversation and I'm so excited to share this incredibly insightful episode with you. I really hope you enjoy it. So guys, tonight we are going to be going through and Dave and Johnny's amazing trek through the Atlas Mountains and I want to kick this episode off tonight just by saying a massive thank you to both of these gents. It's it's an honour to have you both here and for us to be able to kind of go through your journey with you and sort of go through these reflections with you and be a little part of that is something really, really special. And everyone who's listening back on the podcast as well, you know, on, on behalf of them, thank you very much for, for sharing this with us. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for asking me. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this. Um, to be honest, it's come at a good time because I don't know if I could have rightly uh processed it until now really because it's it took me a week to get over it <laughs> to be completely honest <laughs> yeah i can imagine can absolutely imagine so guys if we sort of kick off just by you telling us a little bit more about the trek itself because i don't know all the details and i'm sure some people here don't know all the details as well and it was obviously a, a massive massive feat can you just tell us a little bit more about what it is you've actually just done shall i kick it off johnny Go for it, mate. Um, so what it is, Charlie, uh, I did Snowden two or three years ago, um, and that's the kind of first mountain thing I've ever done. Um, when I stopped drinking, um, I had to find something to fill the void or replace what was missing. So I, I regained my sort of enthusiasm in cycling. So I set up a turbo trainer in the garage, and um, I – got out there every morning, 6am and did an hour cycling. And I trained to do the London Brighton bike ride, London to Portsmouth bike ride. And that was one week after the next. It nearly killed me actually. Um, And then I did the London to Paris, which was a whole new experience. Um, It was absolutely wonderful. Um, 
And after that, it kind of set something off that I'm not one to just do breath work, just do meditation. It was more the adventure. And when I did Snowden, I put a picture on my Instagram of me at the top and I got contacted by a guy called Nick who was in the Special Forces back in the day. And he said to me, that's amazing, mate. Would you ever consider doing something a bit bigger? Um, and I said, well, let's explore that, right? So he come up with this whole Morocco adventure. Um, but then things got in the way. Um, lack of numbers, then the Ukrainian war started and it, and it got stopped and then we, we reinvented it. Uh, and that's when I kind of spoke to Johnny about it. Now, I went to see Johnny last year down in Cornwall and uh, it was a baking hot day. And he wouldn't even get in the sea. Like, so I thought I've got no hope uh, him <laughs> coming to Morocco to climb a mountain. Wow. And I, yeah. And I asked him and, uh, well, maybe this is where you can come in with, with your response to my question. Do you want to join me by climbing mountain Tubkal in Morocco? Hard no. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> the polite answer on here, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I uh, not going to lie to you. It, it, it. I said no. It was just like an instinct. Didn't really give it much thought. Um, and then I couldn't get it out of my mind after that. You know, just kept thinking about it. Why did I? Why am I saying no? This is everything that I love. You know, I was even telling my wife about it. And as I was telling her, I started to feel a bit stupid. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> As I'm saying this, she's looking at me like, yeah, and where's the bit where you don't want to do? <laughs> and as I saw her reaction, I started to realise something. And that was that being honest with you. And it was hard for me to admit to myself. I was scared. Yeah. I was scared. I was scared about all of it. The anxiety of it all. Um, you know, I don't know whether it was lockdown and, you know, not travelling and all those different things. But the whole idea of travelling and being with people I didn't know, going to a country I didn't know, I'd never been to, all of it. The whole thing, it was like you know, I'd get two or three reasons in and I'd be like, ah, I can't do it. No, you know, uh, and uh, that's not who I am. <laughs> so I rung Dave and said, I think I want to come. And he's like, of course you do. Yeah. <laughs> it's like he'd be waiting there by the phone. <laughs> yeah, well, that's exactly what happened to me. The seed was planted and I had all those feelings as well, those emotions of, I don't even know this bloke is. And the thing, when he said he's ex-Special Forces, I, I immediately thought SAS, this is going to be an absolute beast of a, a challenge. And am I up to it? Am I too overweight? Am I fit enough? Uh, am I in the right place in my emotional state to be able to manage this? All these different questions started coming up in my world, you know. And I then started to think, do you know what? What actually have I experienced in my life? What have I got through? What have I achieved? on an individual level, you know, not what have I done for others? How many people have I pleased in my life? How many relationships outside my own have I fixed? All these different questions. It's like, this was about me and what will this give me? And that's what made all the difference to me. So when I asked you, Johnny, I knew there would be the same kind of emotions because we think quite similarly, you know, 
So it was almost like, right, I've planted the bomb. Let's wait for it to go off. <laughs> yeah, it was more like a bomb than a seed, to be fair. Because <laughs> once it went off, like it was, it was mad. It, the, the whole thing. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a life changing experience. It really was, and uh, it'd be, you know, I, I, everyone, no one gets through life without a few regrets, but that certainly won't be one of mine. That's for sure. Yeah. And I suffered a little bit. Not gonna lie, <laughs> but I think yeah. we all did in our own way, didn't we? Yeah, but it. it the whole experience wasn't from when we hit the mountain, was it? It was leading up to it as well. Mm. Our own individual mind games, you know, of of you would send me pictures of you climbing that hill with your son and that and and stuff like that. And I'm sitting there eating popcorn, watching bloody Everyone Loves Raymond or something. I'm thinking, right, I've got to get off my ass and do this. You know, that, that, and, that's a that's an edited version of that story. He actually accused me of climbing a molehill. Oh, well, it's banter, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> you know, but it did. It started from when you said yes, because yeah. there was a bit of competitiveness there for me. Certainly, you know, you're you're about thirty years younger than me, and it was like, you know, like oh God, I've got, I've really got to get myself in shape. So, thing is, Charlie, it's it started on. The commitment of it is like this doesn't we don't just rock up to this thing and walk up it it mm. it was a things had to change mm. Mm. what was your sort of preparation like then so there's that one minute you're you're eating popcorn on the sofa did did you get to a point where you sort of started preparing yourself mentally and physically for it or was it a case of you know you you gave it your best on on the on the week sort of thing no, I did prepare, but not enough. And I realise that now. And there was a lot of elements in that that I struggled. And I thought, you know what? I could have enjoyed it more. It's, it's an odd thing to say that, but I struggled on so many levels. With It was just, it went on forever. You know, like it from getting off the coach, even walking up to this t little town, this village we were staying in was a bit of a trek and that was nothing. Then the next day we, we did... Uh, what would you say, Johnny? It was a mountain, wasn't it, really? Because we had yeah. to acclimatise the environment. And it, it, um, it doesn't sound a lot, but it was about 500 metres, but it was 500 metres up. Yeah, know, it was a up. steep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and it was like 85 degrees, wasn't it? And uh, and the ground underneath us was really slippery, um, like gravel on dust on gravel. So it's like walking on marbles, you know. Uh, mm. And that was, I suppose... Uh, a time where we maybe started to begin to doubt ourselves because when we saw the mountain it it was like you know like you see in a film like Everest or something you think actually this is real now uh, and doing that walk on the on the second day the acclimatization walk I started to doubt myself then thinking oh my god have I really not prepared for this at all like am I am I going to make it am I going to wing it you know what are my capabilities here um but a good thing johnny we we had banter throughout the whole thing didn't we like <laughs> like the way we yeah. spoke to it there was a lightness about it and i think that took the edge off it do you yeah yeah i mean i think what's important about it is that when we when we left the airport and we got to where we were staying that was two thousand meters so mm. we didn't drop below two thousand meters so Although altitude doesn't necessarily become a problem for most until about 2,500 meters, you could feel it. Like I know that everyone in there 
there was a breathlessness there was a, a a racing heartbeat there was a heaviness in your legs and you felt it and mm. you could you could sort of pass it off as feeling a bit unfit but you knew it wasn't that you kind of it didn't feel right it felt like something was invading you a little bit it was like and I think that was the, that's the feeling you might be referring to that feeling of whoa hang on a minute there's stuff here I can't control I mean I was getting I thought I was being a champ you know I was getting up at six in the morning on the cross trainer the the exercise I did yeah probably made me fit enough to get through the airport <laughs> That's about it. Because <laughs> everything else, so I, I, I don't know if you could train for that. I really don't. It was mad. It really was. Uh, but I think on that first day, I think we're all we're all giving it some a little bit of banter. We were all starting to have our own little private battles. I think, and and we had each other. I remember, I remember that that night actually, Dave. And we were sat on this balcony, and I, I won't even try and describe it, but it was just beautiful. You know, you were surrounded by mountains. This balcony was enormous. And it was just me and Dave sat on there and we sort of weren't speaking. Just mm. sort of sat there looking we at the mountain. We haven't fallen out and we weren't. No, no, we no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I was like, why'd you bring me here? Yeah. <laughs> no, it was like, we were just sort of sat there taking it in. And I think like it was, it was a nice little moment for us. It was just like, we looked at each other and we were like, right, let's go and have some dinner. And we, mm. we sort of knew what we were both thinking, but there's no words to be said, really. Um, mm. We knew we were going to do it. Just mm. did the how. <laughs> well, I think we knew we were going to give it our best, is is, yeah. and we had each other's backs, and then we got up the next day. I mean, the thing is, as well, is that I'm really set in my ways, and and to sleep in a an old dormitory with seven blokes fighting and snoring all night is not what I'm used to, you know. And it was horrendous. Bit, and I, and Johnny was in the next bed to me, right? And I was trying to talk to him, but he had these perfect earplugs, right? And I was so jealous because I was. I was saying, hey, mate, are you all right? No, nothing, absolutely nothing. And he got up and he went, right, let's crack on. And there's me like, <laughs> like shriveled up in the corner, you know. Oh, but even that next day, walking up to the base camp, that was some, that was like an eight-hour hike uphill, wasn't it? Mm. Um, with some rough terrain as well, weren't there? And, and. That was exhausting in itself. And we landed up at that base camp where there were people from all over the world there. Uh, and that sleeping experience was different as well. So we we were doing it off for very, very little sleep. The diet was completely different, wasn't it? It was, you know, salad and courgettes placed at angles that, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and pasta. Just uh, never eaten so much pasta in my life, you know. Yeah, it was, a, it was a lot of pasta, but I mean, we so we went from two thousand meters to what was it? Base camp was three thousand two hundred. Yeah, and and as Dave said, it was this tiny little track, and you're going for the mountains. Now, don't get me wrong; it was stunning. It was absolutely stunning. Um, words can't do it justice. But you know, you're on this tiny little track, and you're jumping out of the way because mules are going past, carrying bags and luggage and things like that. Um, and you know, one of the things I will say, Dave, is that staying in that village at 2000 meters was the most humbling thing yeah. I've done in a really long time. It was a time when we were both looking over the balcony and there was this, this, no matter where, what, you know, where you're from, like she was an old lady and yeah. she's carrying this enormous hay bale on her back. And in her hand is two ropes and she's got two mules with, with water, um, carrying water bottles. And I'm looking down, I'm thinking everything these people do is difficult. Every, there's no turning on the tap. Everything is, is hard. And it occurred to me that 
everything in that little village exists because of a tiny little trickle that starts at the top of a mountain and turns into a flowing river at the bottom. Yeah. And they grow apples and walnuts in that village and they supply Mar uh, uh, Marrakesh and wherever else. And that water sustains everything. It feeds their animals. It, it sorry, it, it hydrates their animals. It keeps their crops going. It um, gives them water. And without that, I mean, that for, for a start, that's a lot of trust. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's a lot of trust on one thing, I think, you know, and it was really humbling to see that there was kids just running about, like getting up to mischief, having fun. Um, even though everything to us was probably quite dangerous to them it was just like a giant playground wasn't it <laughs> it, it was amazing and that night you wouldn't have heard it because you had your bloody earplugs in but there there were kids sing the families were singing you know yeah, and it yeah, felt yeah. so wonderful it was like a wednesday night and rather than sitting there on their screens or whatnot they were singing songs you know mm -hmm. um but it did make me laugh as well that you can't take the mischief out of kids, right? Because that little boy grabbed your hand, didn't it? And I got yeah. a great picture. Yeah. And and the way he handled the terrain as well was like he knew every little step and whatever. And where did he lead you to? There's a <laughs> tiny little sweet shop in the, in the village. And he led him, he was only about uh, two, uh, and he led him straight to the sweet shop. It was brilliant because, like, obviously really British, right? So I'm walking along and I just feel this something grab my finger, just my little finger. And I look down and there's this little kid. And I sort of think, oh, what's happening? And I sort of look at everyone. I'm like, is this okay? <laughs> like, this feels weird. I don't know. And like, um, I've, this kid's got my hand and I look at the kid and the kid's like, the, the steps here, let's just say there's no regulations. The stairs were massive, the steps, and probably about half the height of the kid. So I'm like, oh, he just needs a hand. And I thought we get to the bottom of the steps and he'll let go. But he's looking at me and he's carrying on. I'm like, okay. Anyway, thinking, getting a bit anxious. And in the end, I'm like, okay, I've just sort of let him off. And I'm like, all right, thank you. Bye. Like, wave. And he waves at me and he goes over and he goes into this little building. And I'm nervous and I'm thinking, uh oh, I feel quite responsible for him now. Where's he going? And I look in there and you should have seen his face. He was there smiling like. Yeah, <laughs> in the sweet shop. When you didn't buy him a lolly, he was I mean, gutted. You, you could have put your hand in your pocket too. You didn't know, did you? <laughs> I'm filming it, mate. <laughs> you were. <laughs> yeah. But so, leading up to that base camp was a whole new experience, wasn't it? Because that's when we saw the base of the mountain and how big it was, right? And there, and there was this zigzag path that was so steep, right? And I thought, that's the beginning, right? We aim to get up at 2 o'clock in the morning so we could see the sunset. Well, we left at 2. And even that alone, that first half an hour, was really, really challenging. And then there was that ice ridge that went across that had a sheer drop, and it had snowed for the first time in 30 years. Uh, and when I hit this, this path, I couldn't even see the drop because it was pitch black by the head torch on and i just went like that and it's like if i slip i'm dead right and that alone that life and death feeling changed something inside me just that you know it, i was so close to death by one slip and i thought i've i can't like there was something in my nature that says right there's no going back from this i've i'm doing this whatever happens and I continued petrified. I was absolutely petrified. Uh, and that was just the first half an hour <laughs> of the climb, wasn't it, Johnny? Yeah. I mean, you're, we climbed over, you know, the bit that we didn't realise was, um, 
I think it's called a crevasse where you you cross over ice that's got nothing underneath it but a river which was about two or three meters below the ice so there was nothing there and you know what you're supposed to do you're supposed to go across it and to keep your foot in you're supposed to poke it with a pole <laughs> and I'm like that doesn't feel like a good choice <laughs> I don't really want to do that you know so you're poking this thing with the pole and you're going across it and I don't I think there were some advantages for it being dark because on the way down when I saw it I was like hmm wonder how I would have felt if I'd seen that before mm. I crossed it you know because mm. when I came down I was looking at it thinking wow did, I actually think I said to you did we come that way you're like yep <laughs> I was like wow yeah. okay yeah. but <laughs> yeah. do you know what um I'll talk about that a bit later but then I I kind of like I was out of puff already at that stage you know and the altitude was beginning to take its toll right and what I noticed in you your pace slowed down and I looked at you and I thought, you actually, you don't look well. Um, and, and you wasn't well, right? No. And and you, without going into graphic detail, but you you had to pay a visit on the mountain, which they did make us aware that's a possibility. But what we realised after that, actually, it's probably the altitude sickness, right? Because that carried on and it just really sapped you of your energy, didn't it? It just took everything away from you. Yeah, I mean... So as Dave explained, we we go up the we go in up all the little shaley bit, um, and it was ironic really because the day before, I'm not gonna lie, we were sat there. Um, Carrie, who's who's here, we were sat together. We were watching people climbing up, and uh, they were slipping. <laughs> we were having a little giggle, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's funny, right? People slipping, but then we're like, oh wait a minute, I gotta go that way. <laughs> Do I if I don't slip? Anyway, what? we get we get a bit way up there, don't we? And and I start to feel my stomach. And I'm sort of like, oh, it's just nerves or, you know, it's just the exertion. It's two o'clock in the morning. You haven't had a lot of sleep. You didn't have any breakfast, all that sort of jazz. And then after a little while, I'm like, ah, oh, something's not right, you know. And then I need to go to the toilet, right? And you've got toilet roll and a lighter. You can work it out for yourself. And uh, I thought I started framing, reframing straight away. I'm like, oh, it's, who, who gets to say they've done this on the mountain? This is cool. This is cool. And then afterwards, I'm like, mm, this doesn't feel over you know, but I'm not letting that in because I was close enough really at that point that I could have probably gone back and I didn't really want to do that. So I sort of thought I'll ignore it and see how I get on. And I kept pushing on and it consequently, it was, an, there was another five stops along the way, um, which wasn't very nice. By the time I got to the last one, I was really, I was starting to struggle and there became this moment where I have to make a choice. It's like, if I let this in, then we know where this is going. Like, you know, once you start entertaining that idea of you can't do this and all that sort of stuff, it's, it's done, you know, because that's all, that's the, you know, you're making a choice in that moment. So I wasn't going to do that. But at the same time, I'm not going to lie to you and say I didn't want to. <laughs> it was really, really hard, you know, but sorry, Dave, carry on. <laughs> no, but I was the same because right, I, I kept stopping, right? And so the special forces guy was behind. They left half an hour later and I knew they were catching us up, right? But I was so out of path that I, I couldn't see the end of it. And it reminded me of my early sobriety when it. I thought, oh, all I need to do is put one foot in front of the other and eventually I'm going to reach to where we're going right and the guide was so lovely wasn't he he was just the loveliest person and I was watching his feet in the snow and it was thick snow wasn't it and you know in hindsight there were no allowances for that we didn't have any clampons or anything everyone else did but we didn't so we was freestyling it on this huge mountain 
full of ice and snow. It going up without so bad. sickness, it was really bad. Like, oh, where's the health and safety? Do you know what I mean? We we probably could have done with ice axes as well at some point. That bit yeah, at the top absolutely. there, like that was just that went on for like an hour of just sheer ice and snow, and we're just yeah. going uphill. And like you say, like you've vigil. Like what I will say, if you're going to frame it in a positive way, is it was living. It really was living. Like everything was at you at that moment and it's just the yeah. idea of keep moving forward there was something about it that was yeah because really like, that's why i was looking at his feet i wasn't looking up because i looked up it felt like out of reach right mm. and that's what i say to people in sobriety if you look too far ahead it can feel too much and overwhelm you so all i did was look at his feet and every two three hundred meters i stopped for a few seconds at a breather and thought here we go again keep going keep going keep going but there was at a point that Nick caught us up and and I said, where's Johnny? And he's, where's Johnny? <laughs> and uh, he said, he's down there. He's struggling. I said, I want to go back for him. And he said, it's all right. He's, he's in good hands. Carry on, right? Stuart was with you, wasn't he? He was. And, and, mm. and what a legend he turned out to be, right? And so we carried on in our own thing and it's like oh my god we said we'd do it together and like this is not how it is meant to be and whatever but then it become a solo thing for me because i thought i've got to get up here now and there was a point that they said look there it is up there the the peak whatever the top and i thought that's miles away still like i said and and there, then we saw the 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 big triangle at the top, but you had to go all the way round that way, didn't you, as well? So it was a bit like, um, oh, well, th there it is, but you've got to go the long way because there's a diversion. Yeah. And um, I must admit, mate, even that top bit, I thought, I don't know whether I can do this. Like, am I just going to sit here looking at what I could have achieved? Do you know what I mean? But somehow I got there and then I just sat there looking, waiting for you, like, waiting for you to come around the corner. I was like a little lost doggy looking at his <laughs> Where, Where's Johnny? And then I mean, that, that, that bit was corner. proper climbing, wasn't it? That was proper climbing. Yeah, that yeah. bit you're talking about, that was that was proper climbing up and up rocks. And hands and, and knees around. and yeah. like that, wasn't it? And, it and then there. you walk around the corner. Yeah. I mean, I at that point, like that was for me, like I'd, I'd been to the toilet countless times and I was down to like three steps and stop. And I was leaning on my pole and I was just, I was struggling like real bad. Like, and we got to this little opening and uh, Stuart, who was just amazing. He was just amazing. You know, I'm quite, I'm quite, I can be quite a proud person like, like anyone can. And he looked at me and he said, Johnny, let me take your pack. And there's no, there's no road in my life where I'm letting anyone else take my pack. You know what I said? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> she gave it to him. I was so wrecked. I just didn't care. And, I stood at this opening and he said, Johnny, you're not going to make it to the top for sunrise. So if we stay here for a minute, you'll see it. And we sat on this little opening and we're looking, we sat on this rock and we're looking over all the mountain region. We can see it all. We can see the sun coming up. And the thing is that, that mountain, like mountains don't care whether you, whether you, you'll get up to the top or not. They don't care whether you're cold. They don't care whether you're in pain. They don't care about anything. They're not going to change for you. You have to change for it. And I'm getting to the top and it stripped me back of everything. All my, all my banter, all, all my physical and emotional strength, all of it's just gone. 
And what's left is there to accept or not. And I'm sat on this rock and I had nothing left. I just sat there and I was watching his son come up and I just started crying. And that's not like me. And bless Stuart, he heard my whole life story in 10 minutes. <laughs> and I said words that I never even knew were true, you know. And I really, I really sort of put it out there. And it's taken me, <clears throat> it's taken me a really long time to work out what that was all about. And there's a few other things in the background there that are a bit more private. But one of the things that I think it was about was that, you know, I've always had to be tough. I've always had to be tough for whatever reason. I've had to be strong and tough for other people, for myself, all sorts of things. But in that moment, I couldn't be. And I know it sounds really strange, but I found the permission to finally mourn the childhood that I didn't have. And for the first time, I was able to look at myself and say, you know, I've, I've had, I've got two boys, right? And a little while ago, I remember there was a massive incident for, for me when I was a kid that happened when I was eight years old. And I remember looking at my eight-year-old son and it, it you can't see yourself, can you? You know, you can see yourself in the mirror, but you can't see yourself in real life. And I saw my son and I couldn't comprehend something like what happened to me happening to him. And I can be, I couldn't comprehend it. I couldn't handle it, that, that thought, that thought of anything like that happening to him. But yet I seem to be okay with it happening to me. And for the first time in my life, I allowed myself to, to be sad for eight-year-old me, for 10-year-old me, for however old me that had to go through some hard stuff. And I just let it all out and I told Stuart and Stuart, he didn't say a word. He didn't touch me, he didn't hug me, he didn't do anything. He just sat next to me on this rock, looking at the sun come up and I cried and it was a proper cry as well. And then I got up and I said, <laughs> and you know what he said to me after that, he went, right, are we doing it or not? I <laughs> could, <laughs> because that was, that was brilliant because the thing is, he knew when to he knew when to be to empathetic, sympathetic, whatever. But he also knew when to say, "Right, we got we got to get on with it," you know. And I really appreciated that. I owe that man a lot. I I don't know if I get to the top without him. To be no, I I, I don't get to the top without him. I'm still there. <laughs> I'm lying in the snow somewhere, a little Johnny shape on the hill, you know. But I carried on, and I'm three steps and stop. And I kept having this little word with myself, like come on, Johnny, get on with it, get on with it. And then I'd start stomping and then I'd be like, oh my God, <laughs> and I'd feel terrible. And then eventually I get to this point on the corner and the snow's about waist high either side of me. And there's this little track through the middle and Stuart puts his hand on my shoulder and he said, you're about to summit. And I'm looking at him like still crying, if I'm honest. And he says, here's your bag back. And he gives me my bag back and I walk over the top and there he is standing there, Dave. And I just fell into his arms and cried my eyes out. And he just stood there and helped me, man. And that was it. That's how I summited. And then I spent a little bit of time on my own, sort of getting my stuff together, didn't I? Um, and then we all celebrated, as you'd imagine, you know, photographs and, and whatnot. And then I was reminded I had to get down, <laughs> which wasn't great. <laughs> wasn't a great thought, was it? I was like, when you come around the corner, I saw you, you look broken, mate. You really did. But I was so proud of you because you did it, you know, and the way you did it as well. Um, and at the time, I don't think we needed to discuss how you did it, how I did it. We did it. And almost that when we was at the top, it felt like a bit of a weird dream. It's almost like, I don't know. It's a weird thing. It was almost like I've done it now. I've got to get down. I wasn't appreciating it. 
Mm. It was almost that traumatic to get there that, but the, the down was just as challenging, right? Because they went down the non-tourist bit, which was like a sheer slope, wasn't it? Covered in snow. Yeah, it didn't and make sense. All... When they pointed at it, I was like, they're not serious. Like <laughs> It was horrendous, that yeah. down. You wouldn't here, ski right? it. <laughs> well, it was like that. And there were people in clampons yeah. on their shoes, which are like their ice spikes just wandering by going, morning. And we're like flying up everywhere, weren't we? Yeah. And we had these two guides with us, like the, the they were locals. And they were jumping and running and skipping down this hill like it was nothing. And it was just like, cheers, mate. I love the way you call it a hill as well. <laughs> so, yeah, but, it makes it feel better. <laughs> that went on forever. And then yeah. we got to the base camp and then we had we had some lunch and then we had to walk back from the base camp to the village, you, right? You had some lunch. Oh, yeah. Sorry, mate. Um, I went to bed. <laughs> you did go to bed. Um, but then that we got to the bottom of the village, right? And there was this football pitch that they made out of sand, didn't they? Like in the mm. middle of nowhere, there was the place where they uh, worshipped and whatever that huge big um steeple thing that would go off six times a day and then there was mm. this football pitch and all the net was all like hand tied where there's holes in it and it was it but they the kids again were loving it wouldn't they? the football you want to see the smiles on their faces yeah and, and nick said oh should we have a kick about and i was like i can't even like i sat on that wall didn't i and it, it I don't know how many steps we did that day, but they were all up and they were I all do. down. It was, it was 50,000. Which seems ridiculous, doesn't it? Yeah. Because it, but, but it, it was... felt like 150,000. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. It was but we got to the bottom of the village, didn't we? And then yeah. the village was right up again for half an hour, up these huge steps and whatever. And I said to you, didn't I? I don't think I can do it. I, mm-hmm. I was like gone. Like, and every step I had to sit on, didn't I? That was interesting for me because like you're you're one of the strongest people I know and you'd been so good and you'd been so supportive and you'd helped me out and you'd and you know you'd been there for me a few times and um although you talk about your anxiety for it all you never really showed it not really you had a few moments where I would say you were more irritated by stuff than you were anxious but when that happened at first I thought you was joking because I, I don't really see that in you as much as 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 you know i don't spend i can't be around you as much as i would like to be and then i looked at you and i thought no he's he's not kidding he's that is that's hard for him right now and i think it's that old proverb in it of like the straw that broke the camel's back it was just too much mm. this this was up this is up hill these are big steps and we were just exhausted if you think about it we'd been up since two o'clock in the morning we'd climbed from three thousand two hundred to four thousand one hundred and sixty seven then we come all the way back. Shit up like yeah, that, but it? uphill, uphill, and we get right down to base camp again. We have a bit of lunch, which is three thousand two hundred again, and then we're back down to two thousand, all in one day, you know. And by the time we get home, it's like five or six o'clock, and we're getting into this village. And you got to that bit, and the sun had been smashing us. That was hot that day, and the sun had been smashing us. We're, you know, with the best one in the world, you can't drink enough water. You just can't. You, you can't. Well, I weren't it. drinking it, was I? Because my bottle was leaking and it's a filtrated yeah. thing, wasn't it? So yeah. it, it was just one thing after the other. And I just run out. And I, I don't think I've ever run out of steam like that. I just had nothing in the tank. And somehow you helped me. So that was another thing. When you think it's over by getting to the top, the whole next bit's a whole new part of it, isn't it? Yeah, I think then, you sort of um, check out a bit. You're like, oh, I've done yeah. it now, but you, you haven't. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
But it, it wasn't just doing that, was it? It was after that we we were lucky enough to go into Marrakesh, weren't we? And and mm. stay in that beautiful hotel and sit by the pool and that. But <clears throat> we went from one extreme to the other, where there was literally little kids sitting on rocks singing to Marrakesh that I've never seen driving in my whole life like it. And we went to the market in the evening with snake charmers and monkeys on chains and stuff. And it was like, God, what's going on? It it was a, a real weird transition that, Oh yeah. And where did you go straight to? So we get a brief, right? We get a brief from Nick. He says, right. Marrakesh, market is a bit different to most places like you'll see weird and wonderful things don't take any photographs because otherwise that's it we're in and we're going to get fleeced for some money and i'm standing there like yeah 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 i'm not kidding you maybe five seconds went by and i'm like look there's a dude with a monkey i'll take your photos the next half an hour 80 quid later <laughs> and everyone's looking at me and i'm like sorry i've never seen a man with a monkey before <laughs> so yeah there was that sorry about that <laughs> no, i was more talking about where you first went which was the kentucky oh kentucky <laughs> Oh yeah. Well, we had a hotel next to a Kentucky Fried Chicken, and I'm nothing... off to get some yeah. fried chicken. <laughs> <laughs> nothing but pasta all week. I was like, I'm out. See ya. Yeah, yeah. but that, that just... whole transition was um, odd, and then the flight back, and then all of a sudden, you're getting in your car and going, and I was standing there thinking, this doesn't feel right. There was there was a lot. I felt a loss. Yeah, and then it is after that I realized that actually how many things we'd experienced, even that lovely chat we had at the airport, we were casually having coffee because we was there about 18 hours early. Yeah. And then we said, Oh, should we check it? And there's a carry of about five hell. Hour, yeah, <laughs> carrying the group is like, you know, there was so much we experienced in that, that whole, whole six days. And what it, it was a bit when I come back, I think, was the time I really reflected on what that had done, what what how that had made me feel in my life after was there was a feeling of loss, but there was a feeling of um, real learning there as well. You know, I'd learned a lot about myself and I couldn't articulate it for ages, but I kind of felt that... I just jogged along in my life, boozing it away. And although I'm 59 this year, that's I've still got plenty of time that I can explore the world and do wonderful things. Um, and it's sort of like lit the flame inside me of, I'm not born to do normal things. My drinking was extreme. You know, I was drinking a litre of vodka a night that's really not normal. And, you know, waking up on beaches with my head smashed in and carrying on drinking for four days, you know, and it, and it kind of made me think I can spin this whole thing on my head and I can explore the world, you know, and, and really prove to me you're never too old to change your life, turn your life around, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's this thing I do called... Um the rocking chair test and it it transports people to when they're 90 years old and it gets them to reflect on the things that they regret and the things that they enjoyed about their life and if you do it right you can really feel the emotions of it you can really feel the regret you can really feel the I wish I wish I'd tried I wish I wish I'd done this I wish I wish I'd done that but then you get this wonderful thing 
you get to come back to what, what age you are now and do those things. And mm. I think what you realize in that moment is that, yeah, you're 59 years old, but you know, there's 59 year olds out there that are residing themselves to all sorts of things where you're climbing mountains. Mm. You know, that's why you're a role model to me because I look at you and I think to myself, I'm not going to frigging moan. <laughs> I'm not going to complain and say I can't do stuff. Not if Dave's up there doing it, you know. That's why mm. I, that's why I got to the top, because I knew you were up there. I couldn't have that conversation with you afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have stayed on that hill. I'd rather stay there. <laughs> I'm not coming back down and sitting there and saying that to you. But, I mean, for me, definitely, you know, I realised something, and that is that I can do hard things. And that might seem weird, because I've told stories about childhood and stuff like that but I didn't have any choice in that but I chose this I chose mm. to carry on going you chose to carry on going and what I found was that when you do hard things it forces your mind and your body to work together you know so much is of our body and our mind is fighting each other all the time and it causes all sorts of problems in all sorts of ways but when you get put in a situation it's like it's like enemies that have to come together because they're in a situation where they have to work together. And all of a sudden they quite realize they quite like each other <laughs> and mm. then they get along and they've got more in common. And then all of a sudden it puts you back in sync again, you know, cause you've got a common enemy or common goal, whatever you want to call it. And there were so many times I wanted to quit so many times I wanted to quit, but I didn't. And I'm happy about that. You know, mm. um, I wanted to push myself. I wanted to find out what I had inside and that mountain showed it to me. You know, it showed me that, if I ever doubt myself, if I ever think I can't do it or whatever, that that's nonsense. Mm. <laughs> and that's valuable. That's valuable because life puts demands on all of us, doesn't it? Mm. That's awesome. That is awesome. So is this the end of the wild adventures? Is there is there a part two? What what are you thinking? Uh, <laughs> well, like um the irony was is um that there's um an arctic experience and johnny hates the cold right so i presented that to him and he says there's no way in a million years and i said well you said that about uh, morocco but there's another opportunity that's come up which is a longer period of time in nepal uh, and the first thing I, johnny actually paid me back by leaving me a voice note and what's that going oh i've really got the uh buzz for this trip going on and my reaction was immediate. I can't take time off. It's 16 days. And he said, but that's just stupid. And I and I thought, well, hold on. What, what's holding me back there? Is that just me doing what he did when I said to him about Morocco? And I sat with it and I thought, yeah, I, I, can, I can manage this. I can make it work, you know. Um, and hopefully if it works out timing wise and carrying the group in, in here as well, she's, she's hopefully going to do it as well. It's a 16 day adventure in Nepal. Um, and that is going to be incredible. Um, and we are hoping for the first two weeks in October, but it could be last week in September, 16 days. Uh, and I think Johnny and Carrie, I think there is a part we are going to, prepare a little bit differently like even the packing it was like we i mean one thing i will say johnny when when stuart took your backpack that was like a month shopping in that backpack <laughs> i have no idea what you had in it my mine had a water bottle and some toilet roll and a lighter right and the whole point of the lighter, by the way is that you burn the paper after there's no britain's got talent tricks you can do up <laughs> in the mountain but 
I have no idea what you had in that bag. Hey, it weighed an absolute ton. Well, that's for me to know. All right. Uh, <laughs> Let's just say I was prepared to stay there. Well, yeah, live there. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. <laughs> but that's what hopefully we got on the horizon, um, which is, it looks incredible. I mean, we've seen the artillery in that and it's just stunning. Um, what do you think, Johnny? Well, we had an important conversation, like, the day after when we did get to stay in that hotel and we were sat around and I said to him, I feel really weird. Like something doesn't, I feel like, you know, and the fact is the whole week it was, it was almost like it was designed to just create anxiety. Like we didn't know where we were going, what we were doing. We were completely reliant on someone else. And there was, there was something about that that was really liberating, but there was also something about that that just fueled anxiety like not knowing being a grown adult and not knowing where you're going and what you're doing and where you're going to eat and how you're going to drink and the weather and where you're staying. And, you know, um, I think we only fell asleep in the same bed that we woke up in once all week, you know, mm. we were just moving around the whole time. So it's also anxiety inducing, but what it does, what that does is all about stress and anxiety. Once you lean into it and you stop resisting it, it, it activates growth mm. and it's activated something in us that we haven't experienced since we drunk. We obviously drunk alcohol for a reason. Um, and what those reasons are are long and deep and detailed, but we got something from it. We got a feeling. And for me, it was freedom. And when I was up in them mountains, I felt freedom again, like I hadn't felt before. And not only do I, not only, I don't want to, I can't give it up and I don't want to, and we don't have to. And I think that's what we're beginning to realize. We're, we're shifting a little bit. And we now know that, you know, although we're anxious, that anxiety is excitement as well. And we're looking forward to it. And it's going to be an adventure. And there's going to be loads of stuff that we don't know what's going to happen. And we're going to laugh a lot. And we're going to be scared. And we're going to be all these different emotions. And it's going to be wonderful. Mm. You know, I'm a different person to the person that got on the plane. And so are you. Mm. You know, um, We're still funny, right? Just, just... I, I hope so. <laughs> we learn a lot about each other as well. Yeah, maybe too much. <laughs> maybe oh, no. I, I i saw you in the mountains mate so <laughs> no but no we did we really did there was a sort of like um we always had banter you've yeah. been on my podcast been your podcast you know the usual stuff but i think there was a much deeper level of connection that started at the airport we had a really really emotional chat um before we got on the plane didn't we did um yeah. and then the whole experience we shared together um i think created something special yeah. so the spare room's waiting mate come and live with me <laughs> i'll be there in a minute <laughs> i can hear the boys fighting so i'm definitely coming yeah see you in nine <laughs> hours yeah 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 but yeah I, you know definitely and you know, I I think another idea is, that's been inspired is is just to is to is to maybe share it with other people and see if other people want to come along and, and do stuff like that too, because it's a game changer. It's it's terrifying, all of it. It's all really scary and anxiety inducing. But I promise you, on the other side of all that is freedom that you're never going to experience anywhere else. Even little things like I don't know about you, but for the first few days I was like checking my phone, but there was no service. <laughs> it was just yeah, this habit that took a while to get rid of you know but once you did there was a bit of freedom attached to that too just you don't realize how how much these phones just nag us all day long you know answer this message read that read this half of it you don't need to know 
but we live in a in a really conditioned world right now and you know i i implore anyone they don't have to go and climb a mountain but go out there and find some adventure go out there and find some stuff that scares you i mean look at the be sober event i went to a week after um and i was presented with this lovely tent that was already put up thinking it was glamping and there'd be a big double bed in there with a little cabinet right and charge my phone and there was nothing in there like just the floor and all yeah. i had was my sleeping bag so it looked, made morocco look like five-star hotel trust me <laughs> but it's all of this stuff outside our comfort zone you know well, that what did that... you do the day before you went to morocco that's that's something that's worth mentioning as well Remember, 59 oh, no, uh, on the Saturday, you mean the yeah. 21 mile walk from the Coa in the Peak District. So, May was crazy for me, you know, oh, just like that it's... week. That week is 21 miles, and then you've got the Moroccan mountain trip. Yeah. So, that whole week, like, yeah, I don't even know what your step count was. Like me, <laughs> huge, but you know, this is living, right? Mm. Yeah. Going camping with the kids you know is living all these things outside our comfort zone um pushing yourself to do things you don't think you can do you know and even the phone thing i i i was queuing up to buy a sim card at the airport when the coach was waiting to take us to this village and it there was something about that that didn't feel right you know it's like oh i can't go yet i need i need signal and as it happened when i got there i didn't have any anyway so <laughs> and then two days later we realized there was wi-fi yeah, that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I think what what's important to acknowledge though, Dave, is that, you know, you go back five years or so and you might be drunk in a bar somewhere, um, you know, drinking yourself to death and you fast forward five years and you're standing at the top of a mountain. I mean, that's, yeah, that's the thing. That's just amazing. You know, what yeah. I mean? you have to be proud of that. You know, you're, you're a role model, mate. Really are. Thank, well, you are, mate. And yeah. I'll, I'll cover that with um with um yeah we're flirting here. Um, yeah. I covered that though when I did the London to Paris was six months after I stopped drinking. So I was doing three bottles of wine a night, more at weekends and vodka and that. And six months later, I'm sitting on my saddle at the bottom of the Eiffel Tower, you know, and I'd cycled from Black Heath to actually Greenwich to Paris in two and a half days. And I was 19 and a half stone as well. So when I was, there was this bit on the last day going towards Paris, it was uphill for two hours and everyone just whizzed by it. And I was there on my own on this road thinking, what am I doing? But when I got to Paris, it's like six months ago, I couldn't even do my shoes up without being out of breath. Do you know what I mean? Where I'd lean over and, and it's important for people to hear that you can turn your life around in a relatively short period of time and then move from that. You know, there's Victoria's is 17 months sober today. Carrie's in the group. She did Morocco with us. She's a few months sober. And I know for them, everything's changed in their life. Amber Lights in Oxford. She's, She's um, given up in January. She's a guest on my podcast and she's absolutely amazing. You know, they all agree life changes really, really quickly when you take that drug out. And for us, a few years down the line, it's like it's nothing's holding us back. You know, um, yeah. it's yeah, true. Complete, complete freedom, isn't it? Um, yeah. Don't get me wrong. You know, it doesn't take away hard days and, 
you know you still have crap days and you still have sleepless nights and stuff like that you know the there are people out there that try and set it like it's secure it's not but it, it really really helps it really really helps because when you know something really quite serious happened to me a year or so back and I look back and I think to myself if I had drunk alcohol around that time I've, I would have destroyed my life it would have destroyed my life the decisions I would have made drunk would have not been worth thinking about mm. you know they really wouldn't have been so you know I don't I'm not necessarily against alcohol as such you know you know those that are lucky enough to be able to have one and that's the end of it then then that's great you know but I'm not that person and I know that many aren't that person too you know and I think if you do have those challenges I get it it's terrifying it's terrifying the idea of it to think that thing being missing from your life just feels impossible feels like it's no chance no chance at all Mm. but like Dave said it's just one day at a time Go do it, do it today, then do it again tomorrow. And, and mm. you know, you can annoy everyone in your life. You can, you can have the worst day under the sun, but as long as when you put your head on the pillow, you didn't drink, you won that yeah. day. Yeah. And at some point it gets a bit easier. It really does. Yeah. And then you get to a point where you don't think about it at all. Yeah. You know? And that's why I go back to that guy's feet up that mountain. I just looked at his heels going up. That's all I concentrated on was following his feet, like the one day at a time, one step at a time, yeah. you know, and you're going to get there. And uh, we did, brother. We did. And we'll do it again. Absolutely. <laughs> but I, t- I promise you, like, you know, there's lots of people struggling at the moment with lots of different things. And it feels counterintuitive to lean into that uncomfortableness, to do those things that scare you a little bit or feel like you can't do them. But I promise you, if you do, if you try, you'll learn something about yourself. You know, I certainly did. You know, I wanted to give up so much. I really did, but I didn't because I knew I had to show myself that I can do that. And that's been very valuable to me. And I'm grateful for that. I really am. Questions, Charlie? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was amazing, guys. Thank you very much for, for taking us through that. Does anyone have any questions for Dave and Johnny? Anyone got anything they want to share? Any thoughts, any comments, any reflections or any questions? You've got an opportunity to ask these gents don't say anything you want because we'll keep we'll keep it PG. But uh, <laughs> anything related to our our chat tonight, anything at all, guys. Got a couple of things in the chat. I think let me let me get that open. Um... Ah, thank you, Amber. You're a legend yourself. Trust me. Amber's on my podcast soon. What a story that is. Yeah, Amber lights in Oxford. What an amazing woman. Doing big things. Doing big things. Come on, I want to answer a question. <laughs> I've got one for you, Dave. Yeah, go on. I'll uh, I'll start us off. So I haven't actually put this into a sentence yet, so bear with me. I'm going to think think as I talk. So obviously I work with teachers on their, their mental and physical health, and a lot of it comes back to their lifestyle. And I know that a lot of teachers have struggles around alcohol. For someone who is struggling with alcohol, who hasn't really sort of thought about it much but they know that it's not helping they know it's not an addition to their life that's that's complementing it and they're just sort of coming to that first step of sort of realizing that and they're, and they're a teacher with the sort of lifestyle and, and the stresses and everything that the teachers have what first steps would you maybe give someone or what perspective shifts would you give someone who's just getting to that point now where they're realizing that this thing is is not helpful mm, great question i think it's to be curious 
um, and reach out to the community. There's some amazing people in this space, Johnny being one of them, um, engaging conversations, um, educate yourself, explore avenues on YouTube. There's some amazing documentaries. Um, I saw one with Matt Willis the other day. That is incredible. Um, find the community that works for you. You know, there's there's so many groups out there, Facebook groups. I tried AA and that didn't work for me. So I went to an event in London and I was petrified. Um, I nearly didn't go in uh, because I used to preload myself um, with booze to give myself confidence to socialize. And I was standing outside and in the end I was late and I walked in and it was packed and there was Claire Pooley, William Porter, some big names in the sober community. And I spoke to them and I felt like a fish out of water walking in. But when I walked out, I felt like a million dollars because I thought, do you know what? I've just spoken to people that absolutely get where I am with this journey. You know, like the shame I felt of, how have I ended up like this, you know? And that that's a lot of how people feel now, you know. Um, how have I become this version of myself? And the sober community is absolutely amazing. Honestly, there's just no judgment. It's almost like you look at them and they take you in without any judgment or anything, and they say, come on, you're one of us. We, we understand. Um, and... Be open to it, you know, give yourself an opportunity to take a break to see where that takes you. You know, there's don't go in with this heavy commitment of like, oh, I've got to stop forever. Just explore it and have a month off. But in that month, eat properly, eat really well, have some early nights, listen to podcasts, uh, some great ones out there, right? Uh, read some quicklet. There's some great quicklet out there, right? Um, and just embrace it and say, do you know what? Think about what you're gaining and what, not what you're losing, right? Because we can go down that road of, oh, what's it going to be like without a drink? How am I meant to unwind without a drink? How am I meant to sleep without all these false narratives? Think, you know, I'm going to go to bed early tonight and I'm going to have some proper sleep and I'm going to feel great in the morning. I'm going to be really ready for the school meeting or, or the class in the morning, you know, change things around at the weekend, change your routine. Association's a big part of it where you associate. If it's a nice day, you think of barbecues or the pub beer garden, or if it's a, a crispy cold day, you think of the crackling fire in the pub, cooking roast dinners, weddings, birthdays, all these associations, you have to put planning in place and think I need to change my routine get the exercise going, eat healthily um, and just embrace it. And at the end of the month, you can think, right, almost like an experiment, right? How do I feel? Can I carry on? Uh, and, and then go from there. What do you think, Johnny? I think a lot of people ask themselves this really difficult question. They say to themselves, um, um, how do you know? when you need to change your relationship with alcohol because that's what it is it's a relationship it might not be the end it might, it might be something else i don't know but how do i know if i need to change my relationship with alcohol well if you're asking that question probably that's probably a big sign that you probably need to have a look at your relationship with alcohol and and the other thing about it is is that 
you know, my last drink was on the 29th of November 2020, but that's not when my sobriety started. Uh, my sobriety started two years before that when I was doing dry January and sober October and I was ta taking the week off from alcohol because I'd drunk too much the week before or I'd been on a two-week holiday or whatever. And all of that time is it's like I I associate it like a, like a baby learning to walk. Um, it stands up and falls down. It stands up and falls down. And in that process, it's learning you know, what it needs to do next time to, to be able to walk. And it's also strengthening those muscles. And then when the time comes, it's not failure. You know, you didn't fall off the wagon and fail anything. You learn something. When I have clients that um, are facing challenges with addiction of any kind, when they finally work up the guts in the first place to come to me and say, hey, look, you know, I, I messed up on Saturday or whatever. I say, that's okay. You know, I, I'm not responsible for you. You're not, you know, you don't owe me anything. Let's talk about it. Let's see what happened what happened and it's always an uncomfortable emotion or a difficult situation or something triggered them and their response was to drink because they think it's a craving it's not a craving it's a response to something that's a choice you know there's no way that this this inanimate object this bottle of liquid has got that power over us we don't we don't we give it that power you know and that's the work afterwards you know there's two parts to going sober there's the abstinence of alcohol which is an action and it's a hard one i'm not saying it's an easy one it's a hard one but then there's the reason why you drink the recovery part of it and that's when you know <laughs> my, my the guy that i worked with when i gave up alcohol he said if you want to know why you drink get, um, stop drinking and uh, for the first two weeks i thought i had nailed as like, i should have done this ages ago and then two weeks after that i'm dragging the dog around the neighborhood for the 65th fifth time that day <laughs> And I'm having this really uncomfortable feeling and it's my emotions. And I've been outsourcing my emotions to alcohol the whole time. It's things I didn't want to look at, things I didn't want to talk about, things I did not want to be true, but they were. And until I looked into them and I leaned into them, I wasn't going to learn what I needed to know. Emotions are messages. And if we listen to the messages, then we'll find out what we need to know. You know, is it easy? No, it's not. Will you want to give up? Yeah, you will. But you won't know. You keep going one day at a time. You had to give a better answer than me, didn't you? You just had to do it, didn't you? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I got carried away. Player. <laughs> no, guys, that's been that's been brilliant. It's been fantastic. I don't think we've got any other questions come through. So I think if it's all right with everyone, we'll uh, we'll wrap that one up there. That's been such a good listen and uh, selfishly um from me has been unbelievably inspiring like really really inspiring so thank you for giving us your time thank you for being here and, and for talking us through your your journey it's it's awesome thank really you awesome. so much charlie yeah. for inviting yeah. us on as well and yeah thank uh, you i've really enjoyed it and thanks everyone for taking the time to uh join us as well yeah, really appreciate that, guys. So you spend an evening with us. I hope you've had a nice time and we've had a few laughs and all that. And um see you another time. All right, no thank you, mate. Thanks everyone. Cheers, Cheers guys. guys. See you all see soon. See you later.